If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. Brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. It's Friday night, the programme music fades, and we hear Monty's inviting words. Hello and welcome to Gardener's World. At his side will invariably be one, two or even three dogs, scampering ahead of him towards the camera in a sign to all of us that the weekend has arrived. Dogs have become such a popular part of the show that when Monty's much-loved retriever, Nigel, died, it made headline news all around the world. And now there's a new puppy on the scene, Ned, who's already making his mark. So welcome to this Gardener's World podcast for a conversation with Monty about his life and gardening times in the happy company of dogs. I'm Lucy, and as a dog lover myself, I've long wanted to hear how Monty juggles the demands of a TV-ready garden with the boisterous needs of his four-legged friends. But I started by asking Monty, what's his secret to getting the dogs to perform for the camera? I wish I knew, (laughs) then I would do it. (laughs) The truth is all the dogs that we've had here uh, react to the camera in a very different way. I mean, initially we didn't, the dogs were were very much in the background and it was Nigel that broke the mould because it became apparent by accident that A, he loved it and was really eager to, to, to perform and show off and do whatever we wanted him to do, which was basically tr- be there, and be very, very good at doing the right thing at the right time and critically for filming, doing it again and again and again. Because, you know, I think people probably underestimate the, the sort of tedious um, repetition that filming involves. It's not tedious to us because we know what we're doing, but if you watch from the outside, we simply do the same thing three, four, five, six times in a row for no apparent reason. And, and the reason, of course, may be that the slightly different size shot or there was a something a bit wrong with the camera or the sound wouldn't quite work. So to a dog who obviously doesn't know any of that, uh, they just have to blindly do it. And Nigel did it every time. Walk around the corner up there, sit at that point, you know, move off when I moved off and so on and so forth. Uh, and then when we came to Nellie, we assumed that she would do the same. And she she didn't and doesn't and never has done. She's much more flighty. Um, as she's getting older, she's settling down a bit. But she's, even now, the, the, the sort of standard thing is someone will say, where's Nelly? Because she's not there. Whereas Nigel, you never have to say, where's Nigel? He, he was just, you know, he, in fact, Nigel would be not just there, but absolutely in the perfect spot, catching the light, head at the right angle, you know, tail. So, so that... Uh, and then Patty was fine during lockdown, and we she was around. And, and when I'm in the garden normally, she's she's the one who's always with me. You know, it's mm. Patty is is the yeah. companion. 
But then we filmed on robot cameras and they were on stands, on, on tripods, and of course not manned. And we were filming on a windy day and one of them blew over and crashed down next to her and completely scared her. And ever since then, whenever she sees a tripod, she literally turns and runs. And even yesterday, I, we were filming Gardener's World and I brought her out. And she loves the crew. She's very friendly. She's very happy. Uh, but she saw a tripod in the distance. She saw someone carrying one and stopped and turned and ran back. And then, so that, the point being is, is that there's no secret. There's no magic. If I knew how to manage them, but every dog is different. Uh, and you just have to try and, and work it accordingly. And, and now, of course, you're introducing us to another heartwarming, heart-melting moment where Ned comes Ned in. Comes and so you've got picture. little Ned yeah. joining, the, joining the menagerie. Uh, how's Ned been so far? I can tell on Instagram a lot of lovely photos. He's obviously taking part. So, he's uh, taking part. How- he's, he's, I mean, little Ned is becoming bigger Ned by the day. I mean, I've never seen a dog grow so fast. He's, he's, he's still a puppy, but he's literally twice the size he was when we got him. Um, well, so far, and, and I'm, I'm deliberately being very tentative because he's only filmed, yeah, he's filmed three programmes, but we've only recorded two. He's been great. He's been really good. He's, he likes being with the crew. He's been with us all day. He's not like, he doesn't disappear. The only thing he does do is wriggle and dig. He, he's caused more destruction than all the other dogs put together, or we've only had him four weeks. Uh, he loves digging. He loves biting flower heads off. Just vandalistic work. But by and large, he, he's, he's fine. And the great thing I've learned this week, because the last two days I've been filming with him, is that if I put my jacket down, he just gets on it and goes to sleep. So that's very handy. And, and again, none of the other dogs would do that. I used to have a dog many years ago that did that. And it was always my the easy thing. If I just put that down wherever I was, the dog would get on it. Uh, Nigel didn't, no, he didn't. So hopefully it'll work out but i'm tentative because you know he's very little he's very young well we'll see how it works out yeah 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 and uh well it's always you know that those first few weeks of puppy care just you might as well sort of try and put the rest of life on hold what you're it's a hundred percent i mean he's been here four weeks and in that four weeks i've done the work i've had to do that I'm contracted to do, which is write the odd article, usually with one finger and the dog on my lap, uh, film, and nothing else, I can promise you. I, I have slept a bit, I've eaten my meals, but, you know, he has to be fed four times a day. Last night I was up at quarter past two taking him out, and then again at quarter past six taking him out. It's quite, I'd forgotten just how much of a handful it is. Uh, it, it really is full on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But hey, what a joy. And, and you know, and Nellie now, how old is Nellie now? Seven. So okay. she's seven. She was seven the other day. So, and in fact, she she's playing with him a lot. I mean, this, mm. you get, you bring a new dog into the into your household. And as someone said, you know, it's like, it's like bringing a new wife in. Darling, I've got a new wife. You're, you're, you'll love her. You'll really get on well. Um, I think she's just fantastic. And, 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 you know, obviously we've got to allow room for her to take over everything and she will dominate. But so it is a bit like that. So, they, so Nelly, horrified, absolutely mm. appalled at this little runt coming in and demanding so much attention. But gradually it's got better. And now she's the one that instigates play. You know, she will she will start the game, and they play a lot. Um, 
In fact, she tires him out, not the other way around. Oh, right, that's a great way. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I know that um, when Nell came along, and Nell was, I mean, I remember seeing mm. Nell just a few weeks old, and mm. Nigel was incredibly tolerant. And he, he would have been, what, seven or eight as well? Seven, exactly the same age, exactly right. the same situation. Uh, he was, he was amazingly tolerant. She's slightly less tolerant, uh, or was anyway. Uh, for the first two three weeks, you know, she would she would bare her teeth and growl at him and and uh, warn him off basically. But now, yeah, she's. Uh, I mean, you know, he'll swing from her tail and 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 hang onto her ears and pull them. And uh, but what unlike Nigel, she sort of not fights back because it's very gentle, but she will react and pin him down, you know, and bite his neck. And and he's the one who yelps, not the other way around. Not because she's hurting him, but because actually she's just much bigger and stronger. And, and if she wants to pin him down, she can. Uh, and actually, it's quite good for him because the other interesting thing about them is that Nigel was a very male dog and, and Leonine and, and, you know, he was a male, an alpha male. Um, Nellie is very female. You know, she's smaller, she's feminine, she's not dominant. Uh, she's, yeah, she holds her own, but she's she's very different. Whereas Ned, we're back to another rather dominant male. You know, he's he's a real character. He, if When he walks in a room, everybody's got to know about it, you know. And uh, if something happens, there's a lot of barking and there's a lot of going around seeing everybody. And uh, so, for example, when the crew turn up, everybody gets greeted with cries and barks and jumps up and wants to be cuddled. And, and it's there's no, no hint of backwardness about him whatsoever. Uh, so I, you know... I, I say this again. One of the things I love about having dogs is they're all different. There is no prototype. You know, it's not, it's not just sort of Nigel Mark III or anything like that. It's Ned, and Ned is not anybody else. He's himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was looking at the photographs that you posted on Instagram, uh, you know, a day or two ago, and, and Ned is looking remarkably like the little early shots of Nigel that he you is. shared. He is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, such a close look. Of course, that's the retriever. I was going to say, it's, it, there's an element of all golden retrievers look the same. But yeah, he is. He is. Um, I mean, his parentage, his, his parents, his mother and his father, were actually more like Nelly in appearance than Nigel. You know, slim, very dark. He's he's pale at the moment, but he will get dark. And um, very elegant dogs. Whereas Nigel had many virtues, but elegance wasn't one of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, he was too chunky for that. So I don't know. It'll, it, it'll be fascinating to see how he shapes up. But you're right. He does. He looks. What he is at the moment, he's more leggy than either Nigel or Nell were. Um, I mean, he's sleeping at the moment. I'm loath to wake him because these blissful moments when he's not being... I mean, you can't see the state of my room, but it looks like a cross between a fly tip and a sort of 15-year-old's bedroom. Um, it, it is chaos, and it's sacrificial chaos. You, you, know, you let him raid the waste paper basket because that stops him biting your books. You give him an old pair of trainers because that saves the other shoes. And he's, he's pretty demanding, I have to say. He's, he's, which is good because he's a strong character and he's bonded with me. Uh, and the downside of that is if I leave the room uh, and he can't come with me, he just barks. You know, he just, where are I? And he's really angry. Where are you? Come on. You know, I, we, this is not the agreement we made. 
come back, come back now. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not oh. a plaintive. I'm lonely. It's how dare you leave the room without my permission? <laughs> yes, come on. What is this all about? Yeah, oh, 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 hello. It's, it's oh, I can, stretching. I can, see, I can see a leg in the background. Now what are you setting? Now what are you setting off? Come here, come here. Yeah, come and join the podcast. That's come partly come about you. Come on, good boy. What have I got, Michael? Oh, the sleepy boy. Come on, come here. He's waking up. He is when he was sleepy. He's very sleepy. Come on, <laughs> good boy. Come here. Come on. Have you got have you got a treat in your pocket that's well, the that's the real I, secret? I remember is, it used to, used to be cheese. For, it used to be uh, cheese. For, I, it, uh, I haven't got yeah. anything in my pocket, but we can come here, good boy. You sleepy. Well, this could be uh, this could be interesting. So, so, so Ned's coming to join us on ca- <laughs> on mic <laughs> and Ned on camera. Um, he's he's very sleepy. Oh yes. Um, what's that, Ned? So we, well, we may we may get a little noise. You might get it. Well, it, we might, when but he wakes what, up, you know, but, be careful what we be careful what say, we be wish very for. Very careful what you wish for, because <laughs> when he wakes up, it's all go. But he's very cuddly. I can see, see, I can see. How's Patty responding? I mean, well, Patty has a character unlike, yeah. you know, a boy. Patty <laughs> wants to play mm-hmm. and is, you know, really terrier-like, nips at him and rolls around, and then he gets too rough. I mean, he's a lump. He weighs nearly eight kilos now. Um, Patty weighs one and a half. So, you know, that's that's quite a big difference. And that, that's flyweight boxing heavyweight and he gets he bowls her over and sort of crushes her so then she doesn't like it and runs away um but they'll work out uh, they haven't quite worked out how to make the relationship work because they get on fine but he wants to play in a very physical rolling manner and she wants to nip and run and occasionally um she does the zoomies and will tear around, you know, do these l- circuits of the garden with him standing slightly bewildered, not knowing what's going on. But then he started to do that with um, with Nelly. So it's it's working out. It's okay. But the other day we had 11 dogs here. You know, all my, all my children came with their various dogs and my sister-in-law came with her three dogs. And it was medieval, you know. We had lurchers and greyhounds and golden retrievers and sheepdogs and sort of terriers and dachshunds. And uh, it, it it became, according to your worldview, either sort of gloriously medieval or just ridiculous, you know. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> like, like like an impromptu cruft sort yeah. of I mean, but he's very, very sleepy now. You can see he just, he just yeah. wants to sleep. He's switched. Oh, is actually quite good timing because if he was it's probably yeah it's probably just as well and he loves sleeping in in anybody's arms he he's he's very very happy to be held so what will happen is we'll have this 100 pound dog fully grown trying to get into laps and arms and and um and you can imagine when we're filming of course there are people queuing up to hold him queuing up to to sort of can I, I? I don't mind looking after him. Yeah, okay. But you know, I could do that while I do something else. So he's very spoiled in that in that respect. <laughs> so Nigel's lovely legacy lives on in the sense that that uh, that dogs are for now forever intertwined with Gardener's World. And I guess uh, I know you sort of said it crept up 
When did you realise that this was definitely going to be, you know, well, frankly, you're the dog handler. <laughs> yeah, well, I realised two things. One, I'm the dog handler, and two, very much in the background to the star of the show. You know, my ego had to had to take a whipping. Um, it, it wasn't the first season. I, I tell you, actually, I do remember. Uh, up until Nigel's accident, which was 2002, I think it was 2012. I'd have to look it up. Uh, yeah, it was 2012. It was September 2012. Um, he had been around, but he wasn't a star in any way, or at least we weren't treating him as such. You know, he would be in the background or be with me, and, and it, it wasn't a significant thing. Then, um, and, and people may forget, but it was a, it was a key part of, of his and our lives, Nigel broke his back and had this freak accident where he leapt in the air for a ball and twisted so vigorously that he broke his own back. And basically, his spinal cord exploded, and the spinal fluid shot out like a bullet and severed uh, his his spinal cord and and, and vertebrae. So by the time he landed, he was paralysed. And it was this shocking, shocking thing. Um, and then he miraculously uh, went to the super vet and was miraculously uh, cured because when he went, he had one leg was going to be amputated because it was not working at all. It was just dragging like a piece of string. And we carried him in, I remember, on a Monday morning and went collected him about 10 days later and he walked out to the car and jumped in the car. And, and this was the wonder of, of Noel Fitzpatrick, it was, the, the super It vet, was, yeah. and, 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 um, and I remember he had to be on a lead at all times for six weeks, which sounds easy, but I'd, he wasn't allowed to run or jump at all. So you can imagine, even just walking from one side of the house to the other, you put him on a lead. And he had to walk four times a day for 20 minutes on a lead. Well, it's rather like having a puppy. Suddenly, that become, those four times get awfully close together. You know, you can't. But anyway, it was physiotherapy, and it worked. It worked fine. He he never. His, he had one leg that was much weaker, and because he was so furry, you couldn't see it. But it, actually, the muscle was wasted, and, uh, and, and he lost all his athleticism. Uh, can you hear the dog snore? <laughs> He's snoring away. He's a great. Yes, snorer. dear listeners, this is the dog. Please don't think it's either. <laughs> it's not us. <laughs> I'll turn the mic so that we can. <laughs> I think it's the perfect soundtrack, yeah. a little snoring going um, on in the background. He, uh, and so when we announced this on television, I remember bringing him out on the lead and saying, look, the reason why you haven't seen Nigel is because he had this terrible accident, but he's going to be okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, when we come back next spring, he'll be fine. Mm. Two days later, the a post van mm. came down with sacks of get well cards. And I mean sacks of them. Mm. Hundreds and hundreds of get well cards, and the the myth of Nigel began then. And I say it was a myth because the strange thing about Nigel, and and you know he really was special in many ways. At home, you know he wasn't the Messiah. He was a very naughty boy. He was he was just one of our dogs, and we had other dogs. We had a terrier. We had two Dachshunds. He was he wasn't the top dog. He was much loved, but in no more or less than the other three dogs. And 
if it wasn't for the filming, we wouldn't have treated him any different or considered him any different. He was just part of the family in exactly the same way as dogs, and we've had cats and treated them the same too. So it would it was as though someone that you had lived with for many years, you suddenly woke up and they were an international star for doing what they'd always done all the time. And that was the curious thing that we had to deal with, that Nigel Stardom had nothing to do with anything that he did. It was how people perceived him. And, of course, they perceived him through the camera, and he was a genius on camera. And and this goes back to what's the magic. The magic was Nigel. It wasn't me. It wasn't the camera. It was him. For some reason, he could work that camera like the best sheepdog could work sheep or the best guide dog could be a guide. It, It was his great gift to do that, and none of us know how he did it. He was always in the right place at the right time. He always knew exactly what was wanted of him, and he did it. But he was pretty hopeless at everything else. You know, he was, he, he wasn't, it, it, it was just the one, it, it was one of those freak things that his one great gift tied in with the one rather unique opportunity. He was in the right place at the right time. And so when he came back, which would have been 2012, he had this run. And then, you know, until his death a couple of years ago, he was by far and away the main attraction. And, and, and you know this from you've been with me. If ever I sort of did shows or talks or anything like that, you could guarantee that more people would ask after Nigel than about the garden or about the program or about me. Um, and, you know, I joke about resenting it. I thought that was great. It was, you know, it was funny. It was, it was sweet because Nigel, this big, plodding, leonine dog who looked magnificent, but, but all his talents and all his gifts were laid out and shared with the world via Gardner's world. And none the, wor- and none the worse for that. No, I mean, he was fine. You <laughs> you know, know, and, and, yeah. and actually, you know, well, I don't like being sanctimonious about it, but it was rather a magical thing to have so much affection geared towards your dog, you know, wherever you went. And, and the extraordinary thing about it, I mean, the really odd thing, was that once the BBC started to sell Gardener's World around the world, which happened, I guess, about, what, four or five years ago, something like that, it started to spread. Before then, it was pretty niche, you know, it was to, to get it. Um, I remember that I really knew things were different as I was crossing the street in Tokyo and two, an Indian couple, him and his turban, and she you know, rushed up to me. They were tourists visiting Tokyo, saying, where's Nigel? Have you got Nigel with him? Can we see Nigel? And I was sort of thinking, how am it? We're in Japan and you're, you live in India and we're talking about my dog, you know, and then... Um, in America, filming in America, getting on a plane for an internal flight, and I genuinely can't remember, but it was something like, you know, Kansas to Denver. I mean, by British standards, very internal. Hey, buddy, where's your dog? You know, as I checked in. Um, And you're thinking, how do you know about Nigel? How is this filtered around the world in in this way? So he became an international star. And when he died... um, the next day, we got a phone call from a friend who lived in Fiji saying, I've just heard on the news that Nigel's died. Uh, and, and it was the front page of the Times. 
you know, which which my grandfather, who always felt that whatever was on the front page of the Times was the single most important thing happening in the world at the time, by definition. You know, I mean, well, the he was right. Was, yeah. And <laughs> he it was, was right. Miserable. It was, well, it was May 2020 and we had very little else apart yeah. from lockdown to talk about. It, and, but, <laughs> and so yeah. that, um, you're uncomfy, aren't you? Um, so he's very sweet. He's a very loving dog. Um, and he's... He just likes being held. It's a lovely scene, <laughs> and Monty's holding Ned right right now. For for those who can't see uh, um, the view I have, so yeah. But um, he's a very cuddly sure dog. Be, yeah, um, he'll be back asleep again, hopefully. Uh, that's it. He'll go to sleep. So that when Nelly came along, she couldn't possibly live up to that, and I never wanted her to really. I mean, in other words, because I knew it was nothing that I had done. I didn't train Nigel to be good on camera. He trained me. So with Nell. It, it became apparent that she she couldn't concentrate long enough. You know, she was bored by it. You, and you, I've done photo shoots with you, and it's the same. Mm. You know, it's, oh, where's Nell? I don't know. She's gone. She she was here a minute ago, and she's gone. And it's very easy for people to get lost at Long Meadow. It's even easier for a dog. So then you would spend ten minutes trying to find the dog, uh, and then the light will have changed, or the <laughs> so oh, yes, increasingly. We don't use Nell. We use her when she's around. And in fact, she's got better. As she's got older, she's calmed down a bit and she's more reliable. Mm. But I, I'm not, I don't want it to become a phony thing. You know, I've always had dogs and they've always been with me in the garden. And I like filming with them. But actually, we've never forced it. We don't, if the dog doesn't want to be there, we don't make it. You know, there are no, we don't hide sweets in the, bushes uh, to attract them or anything like that the only one time we did force it was we had a jib and you'll know what a jimmy jib is it's it's a camera Mm. on a long pole uh i mean really long about 40 foot so which has become almost redundant in the days now that we have little drones that do it but in the garden and we were doing a shot where Nigel and I had to walk into the cottage garden and then the, the jib would rise up to reveal the whole of the cottage garden and I would go on talking to the camera as it rose up. And we set it up and like all these things, it took sort of 20 minutes to set up and, and get going and then the light was right and the camera was in the right position and Nigel and I were standing by and we had, okay, action. So I walked through and, and started talking and the jib rose up and I my eye line kept with it and we talked through and that was the opening piece to camera for that week's Gardener's World and the director said well it was camera was great uh, and Monty you were fine that, that really worked really well he said but Nigel wasn't looking at the camera <laughs> I said well he's he's really gifted but but I'm not sure how I make a dog follow, follow a sort of inanimate camera rising up into the sky so we tried again. It's still Nigel wasn't looking at the camera. So what we ended up doing was tying a tennis ball just beneath the camera. So it was hanging down below. So as we walked in, Nigel became transfixed by his tennis ball. And sure enough, as it rose up in the air, his eyes followed it up. And we did it. And that's the only time we really uh, cheated. Genius. Genius. Those, those cameramen, hey? <laughs> Piece of genius. But I know they, they loved Nigel. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? We are, you know, as it's often said, we're a nation of um, a nation of animal lovers. Uh, I think most people tend to fall into sort of cats or dogs, but dogs generate this particular affection, particular love and 
depth of connection. Why do you think that is? I think it's, it's a number of things. I think, first of all, uh, with a dog, it's completely unmediated, unqualified love. So that they will love you almost regardless of what you do. Um, they will love you on a bad day. They'll love you when, when you know, you, you. they will love your worst self. That's the thing about dogs. Um, and ironically, that brings the best out in people. You know, I mean, for those of us who've been fortunate enough to, to find a, a sort of life partner, that's the key to a successful relationship is anybody can love people when they're at the top of their game and they're looking, you know, they're young and handsome and, and successful and all those things. It's, it's still loving someone when they behave badly and they're not looking their best and that things are not going well, you know, and, and, and that's what a dog does effortlessly. You know, it, 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 it happens absolutely. So, so there's that. And I think that that is a great gift. Um, the other thing which I feel about dogs is that they are the, I mean, I'm sure horse lovers would, would argue for them, they are the only animal that is domesticated in such a way as they, they can actively share our lives. Cats share our lives, our domestic space, but it's on their terms. Mm. With dogs, it's a genuine collaborative effort. I mean, now with Ned, pretty much I... You know, I march to his drum because I have to. But I'll train him and he'll get fed when I choose to feed him. And, you know, he'll sleep where I choose him to sleep and that's thing. But by the same token, he's a genuine companion and, and we'll do things together. And I, there's no other animal that we can have in our houses that share our lives in every detail, really. I mean, Patty, for example, sleeps on our bed. Don't want her to, but it's sort of somehow worked out like that. <laughs> and I think that's an extraordinary thing. You know, we are one species sharing our lives with another species. And I mean, I, I love cats and, and we've always had cats, although we haven't at the moment. But it's not the same. It's a different relationship. One of the things you love about cats is their independence. The fact you can't make them do what you want them to do. The, the, you know, they, they absolutely are contrary and and can't be controlled but with dogs it's a much more sort of um symbiotic collaborative relationship uh, and and i personally also really like working dogs you know whether it be sheep dogs or gun dogs or or guide dogs or drug dogs or bomb dogs or whatever it might be for instance at chelsea i love it when they come around with the spaniels before the royal visit on, on a monday and of course most of the public will be unaware of this but on a monday when whichever member of the royalty it is and usually it's a team of them the place is absolutely searched from top to bottom by police uh, with these sniffer dogs and they're lovely dogs and they're really good at their job and they're so keen and, and I love seeing them work. I love seeing any dog work, you know, whatever it's doing. And again, there's no other animal that, that, that ha you have such a close relationship. I know there are dolphins that will be trained to sniff out sort of mines and, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of extraordinary stories about what, what, what animals can do, but but not in the same way as dogs. And there we have a puppy that I'm holding now as I'm talking to you, asleep in my arms, you know, sort of completely trusting. 
sorry, it's a long, slightly muddly answer, but I, th- I, I think it's that it's about that the in, the intimacy of the relationship that is both very easy and casual, and yet very intense in a way. People genuinely love their dogs. It's mm. a proper love, you know, mm. and the dogs love them. And the, and, the, and the fantastic thing is people have been able to make a connection even if they don't have a dog. Um, yeah, with, there's vicarious. Say, Nig- Nigel on yeah. screen, yeah. you know, and, and, I mean, and so on. And so it goes on. If you're cynical, and I am quite cynical, uh, you could argue, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it, 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 I'm not naive about these things. You could argue the whole, one of the secrets of, of Nigel's success was he was a palimpsest. People imposed onto him what they wanted from him. Uh, without ever really knowing him. They saw the television version. And, of course, all I mean by that is it's edited. You don't see bad pictures of Nigel on television because nobody wants to show that. It's uh, You never saw him not doing the right thing. I mean, it, as it happened, he, he hardly ever did, didn't do the right thing. But, but even if he did, you wouldn't have seen it. because So to a certain extent... Nigel perfectly fulfilled people's fantasy about what that kind of dog should be like. He looked the part. He behaved the part. You know, the fact the name was quite funny and and memorable. uh, um, All these things come together. Uh, I don't want to make a comparison, but I've often wondered about whether the Beatles would have been so successful if their names weren't so easy, John, Paul, George, and then a slightly odd name, Ringo. If their hair, say they'd had, one had had blonde hair, one had had curly hair, and one had had sort of, was balding, would they have had the same success? It's these very, very trivial sort of things that all come together, that don't matter on a human level, but they do on a, when you, on a brand level. And Nigel became a brand, you know. Mm. Um, whereas he never was to us. He was Nige. He was our dog. You know, he, he was he was no more or less our dog than this one is, than Ned. Um, or but how did you land? How did you how did you land Nigel with the name Nigel? <laughs> uh, that was that was because um since the children were little, and you know, we've always had dogs. From the age of about five or six, they were involved in naming animals. So um We'd had previous dogs. We'd had, well, we had a, a dog called Red and a cat called Blue. That was the children's thing. Um, one dog was called Brenda. Uh, in fact, uh, the vet still has her down as Lady Brenda Bigglesworth. So that's very of much course. a children's name, of course. Um, <laughs> you know, one dog was called Barry Ann. <laughs> one dog was called Peggy Sue. Um, so, Did she ever get married? <laughs> uh, yeah. So Nigel <laughs> was in that vein. Yeah. Uh, they were banding about the least doggy names. And it was going, it was a toss up between Nigel and Keith. Keith. I actually think Keith is quite a good name for a dog, actually. That's a great name for a dog. <laughs> uh, How but, the world would have changed if it had been Keith. I know. but And so it was semi-jokey and it just stuck. It just yeah. became his name, you know. Um, I mean, you know, I, it was, I met a dog the other day called Mabel. You know, that's another Nigelish sort of name, isn't it? Uh, and Ned. And then Nellie became Nellie because... Um, I had a great aunt, Nellie, growing up. Uh, 
and I don't, I don't know why Nelly was Nelly, actually. I, I really can't remember the thought process. But anyway, we were banding around names, and it stuck. It just, she, that's who she was. And so by the time Ned came along, it had to be a nuh. And it was a boy's name. And actually, if you go through boys' names beginning with N, it's a pretty short list. You know, there's Noah, there's Nicholas, there's Nigel, there's, well, I'm running out already. But Ned, partly because I'd had a much-loved dog called Red, so that Red name was very familiar and, and, and all its associations are good. So Ned began with N. It had the Ed element that we liked. And again, it stuck. It just sort of, that's who he is. He's Ned. Nedwood. Aren't you? Yeah. Nedwood. He's he's waking up. So he let's see how long let's eating. see how long we get. Uh, <laughs> but you mentioned the other dogs, and I wanted to take you right back to the beginning. How did you first develop a love of dogs? Who did that come from? How did that um, come about? I grew up with them. Um, my family always had dogs. Uh, my earliest memories are with dogs. Uh, we I've, I've never ever lived without dogs. I had a dog at university. I had dogs in London. Um, the only time I didn't have a dog with me was in my final year at university when I had to do some work for exams. Uh, my sister looked after my dog for me just so I had one less thing to do, you know. Um, what are you eating? What? Yeah. He's eating something. Your headphones? What I love, no, but what I love is he's woken up with something in his mouth. So it's been in his mouth all the time he's been asleep. What have you got? What have you got? Handy, just in case you wake yeah, up feeling a bit peckish. Yeah, a bit peckish. It's hmm. probably something you shouldn't have. Um, so it's really simple. I'm, I've never not had dogs. And I remember, you know, when I met Sarah, Sarah didn't particularly like dogs. She wasn't a doggy person at all. Um, saying, look, we have a problem here because I'm, I'm, I'm going to have dogs. So if you, you take me, you take my dogs. Uh, and in fact, she grew to like dogs and now... You know, but she has a very different approach to dogs to me. Um, she loves the little dogs, likes the big dogs, but I think quite happily live without them. Whereas she, you know, but she's the same as me. Is that if occasionally I can't remember why it would happen, but very occasionally there are no dogs in the house. Either there are, you know, like kennels or something. It's weird. The house just feels weird, empty. So. They've been part of my life since I was... Well, I can remember when we went to pick up. We had a corgi. That's my earliest memory. And we went to collect a new dog, uh, a Labrador. And I would have been three. Mm -hmm. Really one of my very, very earliest memories. So I can remember getting... And a puppy, you know, having a... And actually... Uh, I mean, one of the things that's interesting is my grandson, who's now the age I was when we got my puppy, three and a half, he finds Ned a bit boisterous. He, it's interesting, he doesn't relate to him as a puppy. He relates to him as rather a sort of unpredictable dog that might leap on him. So he's a bit wary of him. So I think that children don't really get to enjoy puppies till they're maybe, say, five or six, till they're big enough, until, you know, that they've... They're not a puppy themselves quite so much. See, he's getting wriggly now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you may not be able to see this, but <laughs> it's one of those sort of emu on Parkinson moments. 
<laughs> when this could go anywhere. It could I'm, go I'm, anywhere at all. The dog is around my neck and I'm trying to, for some reason, climb. Oh, he's chewing the back of the chair. Fine. Okay. We can we can live with that. Ned, this a sacrificial sacrificial chair. It's a sacrificial chair. We've had it for about. Okay. <laughs> I am strong. There we go. Right. There we are. That, that looks, yeah, that sort that of looks ne- more ne- neck, wa- neck warmer. Yeah. We could live with that. Uh, he is. <laughs> Come on. The trouble is, because you've been asleep, you probably need to go out. So I'm going to cling on to you, otherwise you'll pee on the floor. Um, okay, well, it, it could happen live. Yes. But when, did, when did golden retrievers come into your life? Um, that's that's a good question. They came with Nigel. Um, my father had had a golden retriever, so I and he always he's eating the microphone now, um, and he always used to say it was his best dog. Uh, and but I don't know why we didn't have one after that. We had Labradors. I've had three Labradors, um, and I then had what we called black dogs, that were a cross between Newfoundlands and Husky and Labrador. And they were lovely dogs. Um, and I was very, very fond of those. And I think Nigel, for, anyway, for some reason, Nigel came on the scene. I genuinely can't remember why we... I think it was just that um, my son had been very sort of interested in them and, and wanted he wanted a retriever. And... We all felt that Labradors had sort of become bred, that they'd lost their oomph a bit. Um, difficult to get a really good Labrador. Um, and so, and there, were, there was a breeder in the Forest of Dean. So we went to see him and he had these beautiful dogs. God, they were lovely. And they had a litter. So, you know, we thought, okay, we'll get one of that litter. And that turned out to be Nigel. Um, and the, the family joke is we went to choose one and when it was about four weeks old. And, of course, they all look identical, absolutely identical. And then we went to collect Nigel four weeks later. Of course, we had no idea if it was the one we chose or not. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's so, the golden one. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it was... The only thing was it was a male and we had chosen a male. But 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 there we are. Whereas Ned, I deliberately chose him. I, I went and visited the litter and, and chose him when he was six weeks old. He's got a little white flash on his head. Uh, and actually, funnily enough, he was then microchipped uh, after it. And I went to pick him up and the guy who bred him, said, okay, see if you can recognise your dog. So, and actually, at that moment, a dog came rushing up to me and more or less jumped into my arms. And I looked and I sort of went, I said, well, it's this one. And you can check the microchip with a reader. And he read and he said, yes, absolutely right. So in a way, Ned and I chose each other. Um, so he's, for some reason, buried his head in my armpit. So let's hope that's comfy. Let's hope that's happy. Yes. <laughs> Talk about a little bit about the practicalities, though, of, of dogs and gardens. Those just thinking of getting a dog, uh, or indeed have got some experience with dogs, know that they can be a bit destructive. They um, sure can. How yeah. much? <laughs> how much has how much has dog ownership dictated the the layout and design of and, and what you do at Longmeadow? Dog ownership per se hasn't dictated the layout or design at all. But 
one has to qualify that is say that Longmeadow has a gate that opens out onto fields. They're not our fields, but they're, they're fields with footpaths. So we can go from the garden for a walk. So that means that we have that escape valve. You know, the, the, the garden is, is big enough for them to hang out in and, and when they're a puppy. I mean, you, you leave them, plenty big enough and they're very small dogs. But if you've got a big, boisterous dog, we are literally on the garden's edge. You know, it's, it's like living next to a big park. So that makes life much easier, much, much easier. And without that, it would be a different story altogether. Um, the other thing is, is you do, we do discipline them. You know, if they, I mean, he loves digging holes and that's going to end. That will not be tolerated. I mean, he's very young at the moment, so there's no point in, you just have to distract him and just say no and take him away. Uh, and then you'll do it again. You say no. But once he, as he, grows up and he's starting to get very fidgety now uh as he grows up i will discipline him and that doesn't mean hitting him or hurting him it just means you very firmly say no and and he, he'll get the message do you want to go on ned come here now listen to me we're doing a podcast i know you don't know what that means but we are so try and be good okay all right um <laughs> Can you see the little white thing on his head? Do you see that? Yes, I can. Yes, that's, I his, can. that's his white bit. Um, we're doing a Nedcast. All... Nedcast. Ah, Brilliant. Yes, <laughs> yes um, hands up. <laughs> um, so, and then I believe in training dogs. I mean, all my dogs mm. are trained. So they're trained mm. to sit and heal and lie. And because they're retrievers, I train them to retrieve. And Nelly, for example, is very good at that. Nigel was good. Um, and I was taught how to train dogs by a gamekeeper when I got my first dog of my own when I was 21. And the secret, well, the secret says it, it's not a, it's almost bleeding obvious, is that, first of all, don't try and train them too young. It's just a waste of time and energy and confuses them. Uh, golden retrievers are very slow to mature. They're, not, they're still puppies, really well past one and they don't really reach maturity till they're about two or three so it's not worth doing any serious training before they're about five six months old you can for instance he sits before his food and he will sit if you really get close to him but he you can't make him sit at a distance for example which is something you'd want a dog to do um and i can say to nelly down and she'll just drop wherever she is. Um, uh, the, the important thing is they must come when you call. They must stay. And they mustn't, if you've got them at heel, they mustn't leave until you give them permission to go. If you've got those three, three things right, everything follows from that. You know, I mean, I don't train them to do tricks or anything. I just train them from obedience. And that's as much for their own safety and well-being. You know, if you come to a road or anything like that, you want you do not want them rushing out or or even the garden gate. You know, they shouldn't go through it until you say they can. Um, so I I learned and was taught the secret is is Wait till they're old enough so that they are responding to you, even if they're not responding in the right way. They are. And he isn't yet. You know, he, he's quite happy to ignore me. Um, he'll respond if he wants something, but won't if he doesn't. That will come in about four or five weeks' time. And then 
start off literally five minutes at a time. And what you have to do is go out, go somewhere where there are no distractions, a field, a big park or somewhere, let them play for five, ten minutes so they get it out of their system. And then for five minutes, focus on training. Don't intersperse it with play. Don't throw a ball and then grab it and play with them and say, well done, good boy. Just take the ball, sit. <laughs> um, and, and then as soon as their concentration begins to waver, stop. And then five minutes becomes 10 minutes and 10 minutes becomes 15. And actually, we never had a training session that was longer than 20 minutes, ever. So you don't need it. And then when it's over, let them play, let them go. And that way, it's not, they quite enjoy it. And actually, a working dog, which he essentially is, and again, we're, we're getting into fuss, um, and quite soon I'm going to have to take him outside, I'm afraid. Um, yes. A working dog really likes working. That's one of the characteristics of a working dog. They're happiest working. Nelly loves nothing so much as retrieving. She comes alive. You know, that, that mm. is what she does. Nigel loved performing on television. That's what he did. And that was the freaky thing about him. Um, and, and, you know, no one could have guessed that. No one could. Yeah. But all you could say is actually he had guide dog genes in him. So that in a sense, he was behaving like a guide dog. You know, and he, he was, was retrieving tennis balls left, right and centre. Oh, so yeah. there was yeah, 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 a tennis yeah, yeah. ball. He'd do anything for a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah, but... Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, he's, well, I, I'm, I'm going to have to let let you yeah. go very soon. I, yes. can, I can tell there's some restlessness here. But, yes. <laughs> but of course, Ni Nigel and so many other of your dogs live on in the garden, yeah. uh, which is... Yeah, well, we have a garden is, cemetery. So we yeah. have uh, now, whoops. And now, Ned, you just dropped my headphone out. Um, <laughs> can you say, I, speak to me and I'll make sure I can hear yes, you. Yes, I can, yeah, I can, fine, I can, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, I can still hear you. We have one, two, three four, five dogs and two cats buried in the cops. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's where they are. And, you know, they were all... And the thing I always say to people is every one of them was loved just as much as Nigel. You know, Nigel has joined the pantheon of dogs. And it was a joy that so many people shared the affection we had for him. The best thing about Nigel was he was one of our dogs. Not that he was a star, not that he was famous, but he was just a much-loved family dog, and he's still with us in the garden. And, and you know, it's, it's one of the luxuries of, of living in the country and having a big garden is we could, we've got the space to bury the dogs in them, and they've all got headstones of sorts. And um, we're all very much aware of them, you know. it's it's they, They're all individualised, and... Uh, it, it's a sort of good way of remembering them every every day, many times a day. We mm. walk past them, and the copse is a lovely place for them. It's just it's yeah, it's calm, a quiet part yeah, of the garden. Isn't it is. It? It's calm, and it's. Um, I mean, when both the first dog to be buried there, I buried both there in 1997. But of course, the copse then was was a much smaller place. It was mm. you know the trees were. A fraction of the size they are now, and 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 so it's it's become a sort of little wood, um, whereas back then it was a few trees in the grass, you know. Um, so it's all part of the garden. It's all. I mean, it's one of the re one of the reasons. It's I have no plans to do so, but 
you know, I could never sell Longmeadow. I can't sell the dogs graveyard. It's the, uh, you know, they'll that they'll stay and um, and uh, and it, and in a you know a very literal but also spiritual way, they're part of the garden. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, if, if you're listening to this and you can't see it, I am literally wrestling with a puppy <laughs> to, who is desperate to jump down and I suspect desperate to go to the loo too because he's been sleeping for about an hour and we all know what happens when puppies wake up. What is it? What is it? What do you want? He's giving you the look. He is giving me the look. And the lick. The look and the lick at the same time. Yes, You're good exactly. Boy. Well, I better. You're good Can boy. you ever imagine life without dogs? No, absolutely not. I'll always have a dog. I mean, one of the, the extraordinary things is that if he lives to be 15... I will be 82, uh, <laughs> which by any standards is is getting on a bit, you know. So I wouldn't say he's going to be my last dog, but it, it we're getting to the point where he's, my relationships with dogs, um, I can see, you know, the, the, the road is, is not going to go on forever. I mean, who knows, at 82, I might get another puppy. But, exactly. Um, I mean, look at the Queen. She had oh, uh, yeah. she had corgis right yeah, now. Though, yeah, though yeah. I know she did say she stopped breeding. Yeah, um, she stopped breeding at that them. point. Well, but uh, what, she had them right up. Is a puppy um, is quite demanding. As I say, I mean, I was I was up at twenty past two and quarter past six today. Um, and for you, because you were barking and you wanted to go out, didn't you? We were a good boy for barking because you wanted to go out. I know, and you want to go out now. That'll be it now. What is it? You're talking to me. You want your lunch too? Go and bite them. There, he's biting the microphone now. Are you hungry? Are you? Yes, I thought you were. What? Talk to me. What? Ned? What? What do you want? What? Okay, all right. So, I think you better let him have it. We better go. Um, he wants yeah. his lunch and he's got up. But it's been lovely talking to you. Uh, and yeah, as you can see, dogs dogs rule my life. But I, I love it. And um, I've gained so much from it. And, you know, the garden is theirs as much as mine. Uh, the one bit of advice I give to people, though, about dogs trashing gardens is one, don't let them get away with it. Discipline them. Dogs respond to discipline. Firm but, but gentle discipline. And also provide distractions. So if they know they're going for a walk, they will lie quietly. If you go for a walk at a regular time and it's a really good walk and fun and lots of play and, and doing smells and interesting things, I've learned that they will, they will wait for it. You know, you, it, it, it's... Um, I mean, I always take ours for a walk at the end of the day. So until about four or five o'clock in the afternoon, they're fine. And then they get a bit antsy and want to go off. Um, but it so far works out. But Ned might break the mould. He might completely vandalise the garden. He's doing his best at the moment, I can tell you. And on that note, we'll wait to see. OK. All right. Well, it's lovely talking to you. And you better go. I better. I better. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Happy walks. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. So, if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>